Take your Bible and turn to Hosea, Hosea chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me mention that the beautiful yellow roses that are in the sanctuary this morning here at the pastor's pit are in honor of my late grandmother, Musette Sexton. Hard to believe that this past week was five years since she's been gone to heaven. And uh, those flowers are there today. Her favorite, yellow roses. And in honor of her and our pastor emeritus, Dr. Ralph Sexton, we love them. And no doubt I miss her terribly, but I'm thankful for heaven and the, the, the fact that heaven's real. It's not a metaphor. It's not an idea. It's my hope. And the good news, I get to see her again. Ain't that right, Lola? Yeah, we get to see her again. And no doubt the family misses her and... Uh, There are many of you here today, and there's someone you miss. And for those of us who have the blessing of having family who died in the faith, I have no doubt where she is today, and I'm thankful for that. Let's pray for Pastor Ralph. He's at Trinity Baptist Church in Indian Land, South Carolina today, and uh, he'll be preaching there. And he has been on the road burning both ends of the candle, and him and Colby both have been uh, very busy. But let's pray for them as they represent you and support so many different churches all over America who depend on him. Hosea chapter 1, we'll read these verses in just a moment. I will do my best next week, if it's the Lord's will, to conclude our series on marriage according to God. And Miss Carrie put it inside of your newsletter, uh, just a reminder that we're asking every couple, every married couple that's here, Uh, to bring a picture of you and your spouse, place it on this table. So many of you have already done that. And there are even people who are emailing it in that are part of the e-church and we'll print those off and put them on the table. But next week at the end of the 8 a.m. and the 10.30 a.m. service, we'll pray over all of these families. We'll ask God to bless them, to keep them. And then we're going to do something special with those pictures and uh, be a great reminder for uh, of prayer for our church and these families that uh, we need to pray for every day. We need to support each other, love each other, and no doubt it is the most precious commodity with inside the church. Strong churches, Pastor uh, Nathan and Brother Rory, as y'all have said a lot, uh, do not make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. And so that is the goal and that is the privilege of the church. Last couple of weeks, we've looked clearly at the definition of marriage. Now, we had a very special service uh, last Sunday morning. Last Lord's Day at 1030, we were not able to preach the message that we had planned to preach. And so the second message in the series, the heart of the husband, you'll find in the archives. It was preached at 8 a.m., last Lord's Day, and it'll be in the archives. So for the 1030 audience that wasn't able to hear that message, go back and make sure you catch part two. But this is part three. And what I want to focus on was really going back to the idea that we saw in part one of the series that marriage is an illustration. Marriage is an illustration. Say that with me. Marriage is an illustration. We look clearly at the definition of marriage. We know that marriage was designed by God. We know that marriage was defined by God. And we know that the institution of marriage was developed by God. Praise God, marriage was God's idea. He instituted it and he instructed us in what marriage is supposed to look like. Now it's been clearly revealed through scripture 
that there is a direct link from my earthly marriage that elevates uh, my marriage to a divine purpose. And this is because ultimately my marriage is not about me. It's not about my satisfaction. It's not about my happiness. My marriage is about him. It's about his glory. It's about him receiving glory and honor from my marriage. And if you go to study the human body, you'll find that the body is regulated and kept in perfect, perfect rhythm, all of the different processes of the body. And all of those systems are kept regulated by one system of biology, by one process. If you're a doctor, or if you're an RN, an LPN, if you're a paramedic, you understand what this is. You've studied this out. The word, the process is called homeostasis. Homeostasis keeps everything in the body going. It allows the uh, cardiovascular system to talk to the nervous system, to talk to the processes that reoxygenates your blood. It, it pours the fight or the flight, the dopamine into your blood to let you know that you're afraid and uh, that you need to run away or that the eye that you're touching with your hand is hot. For all of those processes to work correctly, you have to have a balanced process called homeostasis. And if that one element is off, if there's one process in the body that's off, if your cardiovascular system is broken and you have uh, coronary artery disease or you have congestive heart failure, it's not just your heart that suffers. It is your lungs. It is your brain function. It is your memory. It is uh, your feet. It, it's your head. It's everything in the body. And the same is true spiritually speaking. There is a spiritual homeostasis. And inside the processes of what the spiritual homeostasis covers, you will find marriage being in those processes. That is to say this. If you are not right with God then your marriage will never be right. If you're not right with God, then your marriage will never be right. It is the spiritual homeostasis of the marriage, of the person, of the body, of the corporation, if you will, where the two become one. And it's not that it's the husband given 50% and the wife gives 50% and then that makes an 100 effort. It's that the husband would give 100% of himself and that the wife would give 100% of herself and that those two efforts together would make something that would be pleasing to God. It's not all on the husband. It's not all on the wife, but it is on the team as a whole, everyone giving 100% towards the spiritual condition of the marriage and of the home. So it's vital to understand that if my marriage isn't about my satisfaction and if my marriage isn't about my happiness, but I want to be happy, I hope you want to be happy. I want to be satisfied. I want to feel complete. I don't want there to feel like there's this butterfly in my stomach that comes up every time I think about my marriage because something is off or something is broken. Then you must be giving 100% effort in both aspects and giving it to God for his glory. Uh, it's vital to understand that God's expectation is that our marriage should be that illustration. It's an illustration it's a live action drama of God's love for us. And that's where I want to focus today. I won't review any more of that. I want to focus on the illustration. I want us to look in scripture and find a marriage, find a couple where God did something miraculous, 
where he did something powerful. And today we're going to look at a story of a marriage in Scripture where God so emphatically displayed his love, he displayed his mercy, he displayed grace, he displayed forgiveness, and he displayed his power to restore the people whom he loves. Let's go to Hosea. For the sake of time, we'll read some of these verses in chapter 1 and give you context about what we're reading. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now this is where uh, the Lord speaks to Hosea in verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from God. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. And I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, call her name Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Go to verse number 8. And now when she had weaned Loruchama, she conceived and bare a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Understand what's happening here, and we'll give this context and we'll do it briefly. We need to wind up in one portion of chapter 3. If you've never read Hosea, if you don't understand Hosea, please go back and read this for yourself. It is a wonderful minor prophet to be studied out. Now what you have here is Hosea, who is a prophet. Everybody say it with me. Hosea is a prophet. Say it again. Hosea is a prophet. He is the husband. God comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, I'm going to use you as an example. I'm going to use you as a display. I'm going to use you as a testament of my love for my children, Israel. And you're going to marry a lady who has a reputation, who has a past. And it's a nasty past and it's a broken past. And it's a past that includes prostitution. I want you to marry Hosea, a woman who's been in the sin of prostitution. And so this prophet, this man of God, he marries this woman. And he chooses a woman named Gomer. And he marries Gomer. And he loves Gomer. And Gomer is married to a man of God. Her station in life has changed. Everything should have been different from here on out because Hosea looked past all that she was he looked past all that she had done and he obeyed God. He doesn't wrestle God. He doesn't argue with God. He just goes and picks Gomer and marries her. And he's a prophet, a man of God with a heartbreaking home life. And she's a wife who can do nothing but be unfaithful. And in verse 2 and verse number 3, we start to see the consequence of Gomer's sin. 
we start to see the sentiment, listen now, of God towards his children, Israel. And what you have to understand, if you don't understand anything else today about Hosea, especially the first three chapters, then you must understand this. There are two prostitutes, two prostitutes in this story. There is Israel who is the harlot who has turned her back on God. And Israel has broken God's heart and Israel has broken God's law. And God is angry and God is hurt. And he's going to use the life of two people, a marriage that he said that would happen, that he instructed to happen. He's going to use this marriage as an artist displaying a painting of how he truly feels about Israel departing what they were not supposed to depart. So you have Israel the harlot, and then you have Gomer the harlot, who has turned her back on Hosea. And what God is doing is he's using the life of Hosea the husband and the life of Gomer the wife, and he's obviously going to show us some powerful things. But one of the greatest things you can know right now and believe about this chapter is this speaks to God's ability and his willingness to restore people whom he loves. This is a sad story. This is a painful story. This is a story of what should not have been. But at the end of the day, we can already rest assured that this is for God's glory and that God's going to use a terrible, horrible situation and he's going to display a picture for you and for me to see boldly. He goes on, verse number four and five, you'll find that this firstborn son is a boy named Jezreel. Jezreel. And this is probably, scholars believe that this is the only legitimate son of Hosea. There's scripture to back up that idea that the other two children that are getting ready to be mentioned were not even the children of Hosea. Rather, they were the bastard child of a, a customer that belonged to Gomer. This is not even his children that this man of God, this prophet, is loving and raising in his own home. Only this firstborn son. And God says, Hosea, name that boy and name him Jezreel. And Jezreel in this matter means that God will scatter and that God will confound and that God will confuse. And he names his firstborn son Jezreel. The Bible goes on and it says that there was a daughter named Loruchama, Loruchama, the second child, more than likely an Ill illegitimate child that Gomer had in sin. And it means unpitied. It means that God will no longer show, show mercy. And these are the names that God is giving Hosea to name these children. And what Hosea is getting involved in here is he's beginning to see and to feel the heart of God towards his children when they step outside the bounds of what he expects of them, they've turned their back. They've gone into wickedness. False idols have replaced the one true God. And they are now prostituting themselves out to the ways of the flesh, the ways of the devil. They are worshiping Baal. The Bible teaches that they're consumed and, and, and they're, they can't get foundered on the raisin cakes of the world. They're things that have distracted them and that have pulled them away from where they should be. And then a third is born, a son. And God tells Hosea to name him Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami. Which is to say, Israel, who was my people, who were my people, are no longer my people. 
Ami, lo ami, means to have no identity, to be broken and to be shattered. And so God is giving Hosea a glimpse into what God feels when his children turn his back on him. And God's naming these children for a specific reason and for a specific purpose. You go into chapter 2, we don't have time to read all of this today. Let me just give you a drive-by of what's taking place. Verse 1 through verse 3 of chapter 2, you'll see evidently that Hosea loves Gomer. This woman that he's taken into his house, the reputation of prostitution. It seems that uh, Hosea had given Gomer the opportunity for her life to change forever. But verse uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 2, it indicates that Gomer has now turned back into her wickedness. She's back into the sex slave industry. And she's playing the harlot again. Go to chapter 2, go to verse number 1. Look what is said here. This is Hosea speaking to those children. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, Say to your sisters, Ruhamah, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. He loves her. He wants her back. This is his wife. He is her husband. And not only does he speak of the love, but then he gives a warning. And if you read this chapter very clearly, you'll see that Hosea loves Gomer so much that as Gomer is going about doing her business, as she's going out and selling herself for money, that Gomer is doing things that we can't even say out loud, but Hosea loves his wife so much That Hosea, this man of God, this prophet, is following her around. And where she's been, he goes. And where she owes a bill, Hosea pays. And if she's eaten, it's because Hosea has paid for her to eat. If she's been kept safe and has a place to lay her head, it's because Hosea went and paid for his prostitute wife to have. He loves her and he wants her and he gets to a place of such desperation that he says, kids, go tell your mom. Go tell mommy she doesn't have to do this. Go tell your mother she can come home that I want her to be my wife and I want to be her husband. And oh, how Hosea loves Gomer. He speaks the truth in love. He speaks of consequence and he threatens her if she will not return. And this is a place of love and it's a place of great desire to have his family restored. You go into verse number 21. I want you to see what's beginning to happen. Verse 21 of chapter 2, Hosea. And it shall come to pass in that day. I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear, look at that name, Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which are not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say thou art my God. What's happening here is a desire of God to see Israel turn back 
Leave the worship of Baal. Leave the raisin cakes of the world and come back to the worship of the one true God. And Hosea is beginning to understand the attitude of God and the action of God because of his own love for his own prostitute wife. I believe with all my heart there has never been a man on this earth save maybe Job who knew the pain and the suffering that God feels when his children walk away. God is taking Hosea to a place that not many men have ever been. He's starting to feel the pain of what it is when one of God's children turns their back on God. But if you'll pay close attention to the verses, God is in the business of restoration. God is not in the business of dead ends for his children. God is not in the business of the final tally and the final mark for his children. If you'll read scripture, you'll find that God is full of grace. God is full of mercy and that God is able to restore anyone who's been in the family. They still have their place. They still have their seat. They're no longer not the child of God. They are still the child of God. Read clearly into what Scripture says. But oh, how it breaks the heart of God. But there is hope here because there is great love here. And what's happening in verse 21 through 23 of Hosea 2 is the renaming of the children. The renaming of the children. He says now that Jezreel, instead of being scattered and confounded and confused, he talks about corn and he talks about oil and he talks about wine. And then he confirms that they shall hear Jezreel. They shall accept him. They will love him and he will be as a bounty or a great harvest. There will be plenty to eat. And it will bring glory and honor to God. And so from going from a confused, confounded, scattered boy, Jezreel gets renamed and his name becomes a harvest from seed that had been scattered, but that now is growing a luscious, beautiful harvest for the Lord. He renames Loruhamah. And he says, I will have mercy upon her that he had not obtained mercy. And he renames her from Loruhamah to just Ruchama, which means God loves and God has mercy. And then he renames the third son. And his name was Lo Ami. He takes away the Lo, he just calls him Ami. The meaning of not my people now becomes my people, my children, my kindred people, my bloodline, my relatives, and the little boy who had no connection, the little boy who had no parents, the little boy who was totally cut off with no identity. God said, I'm going to rename that boy. He's going to go from low Ami to Ami because he belongs to me. Do you see what God's getting ready to do in this story? The truth is, mommy coming home cannot happen until the children begin to change, until everything begins to change in their life, and they get re named because the truth is mommy's getting ready to come home but mommy's not going to come home to Loruhama. mommy's going to come home to Ruhama. mommy's not going to come home to scattered confounded and confused mommy's going to come home and there's going to be a harvest a garden there'll be oil there'll be corn there'll be plenty and that third little boy who she conceived with some man who was paying her money for her service no longer will she look at that third boy and think oh I wonder who his daddy is no she'll look at him and she'll know that it's my child that's Hosea's child and God's not just going to restore Hosea and Gomer but God's going to change the destiny of those precious children go to chapter number 3 it gets better 
Let's put all this into context. Say it with me now. Hosea is a prophet. Hosea is a prophet. He's a man of God. God has asked this man, Hosea, a prophet, to marry a woman. A woman who's a prostitute. He's obeyed. And Hosea, knowing full well what she was, he did it anyway. Hosea was married to her. It wasn't just a simple contract. There was a ceremony. The two have already become one. Gomer doesn't change. She's loved. She's given a massive opportunity to have a different life. She's been given one son named Jezreel and everything could have changed. Everything could have been different. And instead, this harlot, she turns herself back into the old ways. She finds herself in places she shouldn't be. And yet, Hosea keeps his wife. According to the old Mosaic law, Hosea could have had his wife arrested. He could have had her brought to the temple or to the city center. And he could have had her stoned for her sin. And yet, he loves her. He loves her and she rejects him by going into sin. How could it be? How could we get to this place? How in the world is it possible for this woman to give it all up, to turn back to sin? How is it possible that a woman who's married brought out of the situation that she was in into this new family? How in the world is that possible? Because the devil doesn't play fair. Your flesh will lie to you. It'll tell you you're missing something when you're missing out. Yeah, you're missing out on something. You're missing out on hell. Your flesh will always revert back to its initial place of being born broken. It will always go back if kept unchecked. I ask myself between services, how did Gomer get to this place? She lost sight of what was precious. And now we're at this place where her life is in shambles. God's man's having to go through these places that he has no business being and he's paying her bills. He loves her so much. I know she's, she's had multiple customers today and oh how it breaks my heart that's my wife but I want her to have something to eat I don't want any more harm to come to her sir would you just let my wife stay here for the night Ma'am, would you mind to save a portion for my prostitute wife? In a little while, she's going to pass through here and she's going to be hungry and she's going to need sustenance. Would you feed my prostitute wife? Here's some money to pay for her bill. And child of God, what you have to realize is that this is the love that God has for you. And while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And while you rejected light and truth, there was God protecting you and keeping you and being long-suffering all the day and all the night. And he was paying your bills and funding you just so you could reject his love and reject his truth. And that's exactly what God did for you. He followed you around town and paid your bills. 
That night you were so drunk behind the wheel, you should have never lived. And there was a battalion of guardian angels. They were surrounding your vehicle, keeping you from running off the road, letting you get home safe when you didn't deserve to. That time you should have shot up and it should have been the last time the overdose to take your life and got the Holy Ghost flooded that little room and for some reason that needle just fell out of your arm. Who do you think was paying your bill? It was God. He said, oh, I wish he'd come home. Oh, I wish she'd come home. Oh, but until she does, I'll pay the bill. We come to a place where Hosea and Gomer are at the final straw. Gomer's found herself in a place where she's being sold. Sold to the highest bidder. She's come to the end of this. Chapter number three, verse number one. Then the Lord said unto me, go yet... That means go again. Love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. But Hosea, love her according to the love of the Lord towards the children of Israel who took, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. And she's up on a pedestal being sold to the highest bidder. And then God gives Hosea the greatest challenge he's ever had. Listen to me now. God tells Hosea, you got to go buy, you got to go purchase for yourself something that you already possess. We had a ceremony. The two have become one. What do you mean? I, I've got to go pay for something that's already mine? We're married. And God says, yet again, go love her. Just as God loves Israel. And here we are. The lowest of lows. He walks into that market, God's man. He shouldn't even be there. And there on pedestals are the women who are being sold that day. Maybe right there in the middle, stripped of all of her garment, dirty, nasty, bruised and broken by sin. God's man has to walk into the bitter circle and comes time for Gomer to be bid for. Verse number two says, so I bought her to me. For 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley. And notice this, and a half homer of barley. Could it be that there was a bidding war for his wife? Could it be there were other men there? Hosea bids 10 pieces of silver and a homer of barley. And then the other man who's competing for the life of his wife says, well, I'll pay 15 pieces of silver and a homer of barley. And then Hosea looks at what he has. If I understand this correctly, this is many, many months of wages and earnings. And Hosea says, well, I'll go a step further. I'll give you 15 pieces of silver, and I'll give you a homer of barley, and because she's already my wife, I'll give you another half homer of barley, and I'll pay above the asking price for my bride. The auctioneer looks at Hosea. 
I says, okay, it's your money. And he says, sold to the man of God, this prostitute, harlot, named Gomer. This is what God's love for you looks like. The Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, it says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Understand this, before God made worlds, he owned you. Before God made worlds, he had full control over you. God made you in his image and you dwelt within the world so you belong to him. And he already possessed you just in your simple creation. God had every right to say what you would be and when you would be and how you would be. But understand this, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born and lived and he had a beautiful ministry of healing and teaching and then one day he was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and taken to the cross to purchase something for himself for the glory of the Father that he already possessed and it was you. It was you. God owns us. And we are the unique possession of our Creator. And yet He sent His Son. And you see, Jesus, what He did, He went a step further. Understand that in this story, Hosea is a type of Christ. And it, this may be hard to understand, but you are Gomer. You are Gomer. And what happened was Hosea did all he could. He paid and he bought her. But child of God, understand that Jesus Christ went a step further. Hosea said, Gomer, get off the pedestal of sin and come home. And Jesus said, Winston, I'll get on your pedestal. See, Jesus went a step further. He said, you go free. Somebody's got to pay. But somebody has to be punished. And so, Gomer, you go free, but I'll stand here on the pedestal. And when Jesus came by your way and the Holy Ghost of God convicted you, He saved you, realized that God had already sent His Son to stand on your pedestal, to take your hell, to take your wrath, and to take your punishment. Jesus went a step further. Go to verse number 3. We'll close. Hosea has purchased Gomer. She's dirty. She's nasty. He wraps her in his own cloak. He grabs her dirty little face. His bride. In verse number 3, it says what Gomer heard from her husband. 
And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot anymore. And thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. And he restored the marriage and said, Gomer, it's over. I'm all yours and you are all mine. It's time to come home. You say, Pastor, this is a wonderful story. This is a powerful depiction of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. Yes, child of God, it is. But understand that this story is where God Himself has a paintbrush in hand. And He is painting a picture for you and for me about the depth of forgiveness, the depth of love, the depth of compassion that, listen now, that He expects in marriage. If you'll pay attention closely to what the Lord told him when he said, Hosea, go get her, go purchase her. He said, then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. And here's the key. According to the love of the Lord towards the children of Israel, his own people. So then what do we do with this illustration? How do we process this? How do we metabolize this? How could this possibly apply to me? The best way to answer is by asking yourself a question and answer it honestly. The question really is so simple. For your marriage, what is the limit? Where's the line? For your marriage, what is the limit? What is the thing that you have said that if your need, your need is not met to this aspect, well, then it will probably just fall apart. If he doesn't do this, if she doesn't do that, then I guess we'll just give up because nobody really will be interested in this marriage continuing. What is the limit of love in your marriage? What is the limit of forgiveness in your marriage? How willing are you to forgive? And then what is the capacity of forgiveness that you possess? What's the limit of your compassion? What's the limit of your understanding? Before you answer it, it's best that you give an answer to the second question first. Would you answer for yourself then what is the limit that God has set in His relationship with you? Where is the limit of God's love for you? Where is the limit of God's forgiveness for you? Where does it end with Him? Where does God say, I've had enough, and He just turns His back and quit? Show me the limit. And if you, if you look all over the world, go to every cavern and every cave, beneath every ocean and every mountaintop, you can look for the rest of your eternal existence and you will never find the limit of God's love. If you belong to the Lord, you will never find the limit of His love. You will never find the limit of His compassion. You will never find the limit of His understanding because that's just how much He loves you. And he says, Hosea, love her as I love Israel. Ephesians 5, 22 through 27. 
It'll be familiar. Wives, all the wives, say the most pretty amen. Wives, say it one more time. Good job. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, say amen. amen. Say it one more time. Amen. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wife. Even as Christ also loved the church. Even as God told Hosea to love Gomer and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Truth is, there are some people in this room or worshiping online, watching five years, ten years later in the archives. And you're in a place of hurt and pain. You're in a place of confusion. The person you would usually go to and cry with is the person who hurt you. And you can't even cry together. And the pressures of marriage and life and children and work and school and finances and everything that life is, it's just building up and building up and building up. And what you don't realize, listen to me now, what you don't realize is that you've already set the limit. You're already trying to figure your way out of this. Well, if he doesn't do X, then it's over. If she doesn't do Y, it's over. And you don't even realize it and you've exposed to yourself and to the devil what the limit of your marriage is. And there's some real hurts and there's some real pains. And the truth is you're going to have to love each other enough and you're going to have to love your children enough and you're going to have to love your church enough and you're going to have to love God enough to have a real honest conversation about what's wrong before it's too late. You're going to have to be open. You're going to have to be transparent and you're going to have to be desperate for God to fix it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking. This is between me, you and the Lord. Nobody else. It's nobody's business. Is there one person here under the sound of my voice? One person would say, Pastor, if I had to be honest, there are some things in my marriage, in my life, and I need the Lord to help me. Nobody's looking. Nobody's going to embarrass you or come to you. I simply want to know how to pray for you. God bless you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. God bless you, ma'am. 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 Boy, these ladies are broken. God bless you, sir, in the back. Who else? My marriage is in trouble. I need some help. The truth is, God knows everything. He sees it all. 
And what my heart is, you can look up here. Many raised their hand, but you can look up here at me for just a moment. Here's my heart as your pastor. I have no other way to say it than to say it. My heart is that not one more family. You hear me now? Not one more family in this church would ever have to understand what it is to file a divorce. You say, Pastor, that's an unrealistic expectation. I know, but I'm begging God for help. I don't want any more babies to have to decide where they're going to go for Christmas. I don't even want any more teenagers going to their school counselor and saying, my my, my mommy and my daddy are splitting up. And if we'll get desperate for God and for each other, God will do the rest. I know divorce happens. And I know it's the world we live in. And I know nobody wants to go through that. But my prayer is that those that have been through it and God's restored you on the back end, that you would help me be a bulwark for these families who are holding on and build a strong wall around this church and say, God, don't let it happen. Keep them together. Keep them tender. Keep them humble. Keep them broken. And touch their marriage. What is the limit? of your marriage. Maybe it's time today. Husbands, listen to me, that you grab your wife by the hand and come to this altar. If you can't kneel, come to one of these front benches and reset the limit. And say, God, divorce doesn't belong in our vocabulary. God, divorce doesn't belong in our home. We pray that prayer of our children and who they're going to marry. God, touch my babies, touch my grandbabies, touch my great-grandchildren. Would somebody get a burden and lead their family to the Lord and say, "Uh, help us, Lord. We need some guidance. We need some direction. Would you come pray for the families of the church? Deacons, I want you to lead the charge. Men full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, grab your wife by the hand if she's here with you and bring her, charge this church with a heart of prayer. Would you come help me pray over our families? If you're here today and you're single and you want to be married, I'd come find you a place to pray in this altar. Ask God to send you the right mate, the right person. To every person that's here that's a widow or a widower, while they're praying, let me have your attention as your pastor. I want to thank you for sacrificing. Listen for sacrificing sitting through this marriage series. You could have stayed home. You knew what was coming today and you're here. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. But widows and widowers, some of you have some life experience. Titus tells us that the old men need to teach the young men. The older ladies need to teach the young ladies. I wouldn't find a place to quit. I'd find a place to plug in even deeper and help build this wall around our church. Would you come help me pray, church family? Join these that are already here. Brother Arthur, you sing as they pray.
And the things of earth shall grow strangely dead in the light of His glory and grace. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? Oh, light. In the darkness you see, there's light for a look at the Savior, and life so abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely in the light of his glory. Pastor Alan Rash. I'll tell you something, church. Never in my life have we ever experienced warfare like we have the past two or three weeks. If the enemy's going to destroy a church, if he's going to rob the next generation, then he'll destroy the family unit first. There's a war in here this morning. There's a tension that's palpable. And men, with all the love in my heart, a lot of this is on us. We got to have some men that are going to step up to the plate. Young ladies, listen to me. Listen to me. Don't marry anybody until you know that he loves Jesus more than he loves anything in this world. Marry the right people. Young men, especially you men that have answered the call to preach, Pray that God will send you the right mate. That's on all of us to pray that for our children, our teenagers. I had a grandmama. I had a granddaddy. They told me as young as 10 years old, we've been praying since you were born that God would send the right person for you to marry. And he did. We've got a real responsibility on us to be the illustration to our friends, our family, the people we work with. It's my heart that God would grow us and strengthen us from the inside out and change our church through strong families. I love you. Thank you for worshiping this morning, for being attentive, coming prepared to worship the Lord in every aspect. Pastor Allen, you come, close our service in prayer. Pastors, let me have you do something for me. Brother Doug, Go ahead and lead a team. And uh, Pastor Dwight, Pastor Nathan, go ahead and lead the charge to go back to the lobby and greet the church family, if you would. All of our pastors, if you would, Pastor Will, I'll have you go as well. Be in the lobby to greet our visitors and our church family. Thank you so much. Pastor Allen, you come and pray.